This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much once again, Lord, for your unfailing faithfulness to us in, uh, in opening our eyes and teaching us, and we count on that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 24, verse one. Jesus went out, departed from the temple. His disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said unto them, see not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Many shall come in my name saying I am Christ. Deceive many and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, shall betray one another, shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, Christ has been asked for a sign. What is the sign of his coming and of the end of the world? And the disciples, they wanted to know some kind of horrible details that's gonna happen in the future. That's our nature. We're interested in the horrible details, prophecy, what that means. Tell me all the horrible details that are gonna happen in the future. But he doesn't give any kind of details like that. Instead, in verse four, he says, take heed that no man deceive you. So he's, what he's doing is he's giving them guidance for how to get through these times. This happened another time when the disciples wanted to know bad news. And again, he refused to give them any details when they asked him in Luke 13, 23. Luke 13, 23, then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said to them, strive ye to enter in at the straight gate. So they're asking them, he's asking them, Lord, what's the bad news? Is the bad news that there's only a few that are gonna be saved? And he answers them, he says, look, make sure you get yourself through that narrow gate of trusting and obeying Christ. And so now in verse three, 
the disciples, they wanted to know the, the date. What's the date for your return? And he refused to give them a date. And as a matter of fact, in another place, uh, uh, farther down in, in verse 36 of this chapter, verse 36, he says, but of that date and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Because if they knew the time of Christ's return, if they knew it was far away, if they knew at that time that it was more than 2,000 years from them, they might go to sleep. They might say, well, it's so far off, who cares to get all worked up about the return of Christ? But on the other hand, if they knew that the return was immediate, they might go into a panic mode. Oh my, you know. So God the Father has decided to keep it a secret. I mean, we may die before the Lord returns and God wants us to live our lives as if we might die at any moment and be ready to stand before God for our sins forgiven by the blood of Christ and, and not be ashamed of how we've lived our lives. Or we may be among those when Christ returns, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.15. This may become our reality where it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent those which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We may hear that shout of Christ. We may hear that voice of the archangel. We may hear that trumpet of God. We may see the dead in Christ come out of their graves. We may soar into the skies to meet those dead in Christ who came out of their graves so that together we go up to meet Christ to be with him forever. We might, and because we don't know the time of the return of Christ, God wants us to live as though we might just be here when Christ returns. And because Peter was one of those disciples in this small group of Peter, James, John, and Andrew who heard him say this, he wrote in 2 Peter 3.14, 2 Peter 3.14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, that you may be found in him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Incidentally, I just wanna mention this as we're kind of going through eschatology here. There's no indication in the Gospels of any millennium. You will not find in the Gospel any reference to a millennial reign before the end of the world. That was revealed later in the book of Revelation, so the disciples had no knowledge of the millennium following the tribulation, so that's why they asked these questions, your return and the end of the world. But Christ is speaking to them of the end of the millenniums and those last days before the end of the world. And this is described, as I mentioned, in Revelation 20, for example, Revelation 20, verses 2, Revelation 20, verse 2, and where it says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. 
And then further down in that Revelation 20, verse 7, Revelation 20, verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. But as the Lord answers their question, it's clear that what he will say is a mixture, as is so often the case in prophecy, of an immediate fulfillment hence the destruction of Jerusalem just a few years away from where they were at that point, and to the end of the world. And that can be frustrating for us because we want specific timetables. We want to know what will happen when, and Christ said about that in Acts 1-7, Acts 1-7, he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Now, he's thought in his mind as he's being asked this question, he's thought in his minds of all that's gonna take place, both for the imminent fulfillment, which is their destruction of the temple in Jerusalem about 30 years later, and for the very last days before the end of the world. And there's one issue that has risen in his, to the top of his mind, to the top of his priorities, and it's his own disciples. And they are in front of him, And so now we see him with the care of a shepherd, with the concern like a mother hen over chickens. He says that there's a great danger for you as my own, and that's why he says, verse four, take heed that no man deceive you. Literally, the Greek reads, look carefully that no man deceive any of you, deceive any of you. That last word in the Greek, humas, is, with the form that it's in, has the focus on any of you. So what the Lord is saying here is don't any of you think that you are beyond the reach of a deceiver. You are all in danger of being deceived, and the minute you think that you cannot be deceived, you are especially the most vulnerable to being deceived, just like we are all warned in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. It's pride that says, I'm so solid in what I know about the Bible that I will never be deceived. And God says that pride is described in Proverbs 16, 18, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter said that he was so solid that he would never be offended in Christ. And Christ said to him in Matthew 26, 33, Matthew 26, 33, Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, I will not deny thee. Likewise said all of the disciples. And we know what happened to Peter. The best safeguard against being deceived is to live in fear of it. To live in fear of being deceived. The Bible describes this in Proverbs 28, 14. Proverbs 28, 14. Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Which is why Christ told his disciples in Matthew 26, 41, Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we're told in Psalm 211, Psalm 211, serve the Lord with fear 
and rejoice with trembling. And we read a verse like that and we say, why fear? Because we know how easily we can fall into sin and we're afraid of that. Why trembling? Because we're afraid of falling into sin. So when God sees a person tremble at his word, he says, that's just the person that I wanna be with. That's just the person that I wanna spend time with. Isaiah 66, two, Isaiah 66, two. All these things hath my hand made, and all those things I have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, saith the Lord. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Deception is what will characterize the future, as we're told in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there shall come a falling away first, and that man of sin shall be revealed the son of perdition. Now, in this section that we're in here, and it's a long section, in this section, Christ takes the unique position of the prophet, and he gives, in this section, the most complete, the most final prediction of the future of what the disciples were asking for in verse two, which was the end of the world. The prophet Jesus has left the temple, he's on his way back to Bethany, and he stops in his trip back to Bethany on the Mount of Olives, pivots around, he turns back, he looks over the city of Jerusalem, and he explains to the the four, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, what his departure from the temple really meant. He explains to them the coming destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And to those four disciples, it sounded incredible. This cannot be incredible. Just like a person who might try to explain to the Jewish people in Berlin, in Germany, in the early 1930s, how all the Jews were gonna be gassed to death, you know, in death camps, by the German death camps, the Jews in Germany in the early 1930s, they were safe, they were secure, they were well-established into German society, and that was something incredible. What are you talking about? That can never happen. That's how the disciples also were looking at the destruction of what he said about Jerusalem and the temple, and they they saw safety, they saw security, they saw, look, the king here, Herod, he's the one who's built up and beautified this temple. It's called Herod's temple. How could this thing be? Now, this is, uh, the prophet Jesus here is giving a very long explanation. It's covering two chapters, chapter 24 and chapter 25 of Matthew. And you can break them down. You can break it down into sections in these two chapters. For example, section one is uh, chapter 24, verse four through 14. Four through 14 is section one. You could give that the word overview, overview. In this first section, Christ is describing the overview, the overall course of the world down to the end of the world. That's in those verses, four through 14, the first section. The second section, section two, follows, which is verses 15 through 28, verses 15 through 28. You could give that the single word signs, signs, because in this second section, Christ is describing the signs to look for when the end of the world is coming. And then the third section, which is uh, from verses 29 through 44, verses 29 through 44, you could give that the name 
suddenness, suddenness, because in this third section, Christ is describing how suddenly the end will come. And then the fourth section is, is uh, the last part of the chapter here, Matthew 24, 45 through 51, 45 through 51. You can give that the word faithfulness, faithfulness, because in this fourth section, Christ is using a parable of a faithful and an evil servant to describe the importance of being faithful to him in the last days. Now, then as you move into the next chapter, chapter 25, the fifth section is in the first 13 verses, one through 13. In one through 13, you can give that the word watchfulness, watchfulness, because in that fifth section, Christ is using a parable of 10 virgins to describe the importance of being ready for him and being in a state of watchfulness. And then the sixth section, which is the chapter 25, 14 through 30, verses 14 through 30, you can give that the name accountability, accountability. Because in this sixth section, Christ is using a parable of a man who has traveled to away and is now returning home, and he describes his servants that he is calling and held accountable. And then in the last section, which is the last part of the chapter 25, next chapter, the last section is chapter seven, I mean section seven, is verses 31 through 46, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, and that you can give the name judgment, because in this last seventh section of this prophetic explanation, Christ is describing how the Gentile world of nations will be judged based on what they did to the Jewish people. So those are the one word descriptions to describe these seven sections that span over chapters 24 and 25. It's overview, signs, suddenness, faithfulness, watchfulness, accountability, and judgment. Now, when he finished all of these uh, explanation, we're told when he said this, when in the next, in the chapter 26, Matthew 26, verse two, Matthew 26, verse two, when he said, you know that after two days is the feast of Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So he said all this two days before he was to be crucified. It's kind of a last minute final message to his disciples. Now, even though in this section we do not know and we cannot know the exact details of what will happen and when. Nevertheless, we can see from the issues that Christ has raised what he wants to keep in our minds. And these things come out in the following verses, verse five, Matthew 24, verse five. Many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 23, Matthew 24, 33. Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Verse 26, verse 26, behold, he is in the desert. Behold, he is in the secret places, the secret chambers. Verse 27, verse 27, he, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 30, verse 30, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. They shall see the Son of Man coming. Verse 37, verse 37, the coming of the Son of Man be. And verse 39, verse 39, the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 42, verse 42, your Lord doth come. Verse 44, 44, the Son of Man cometh. 
So though we don't know the exact details of all these, these warnings that he's referring to, one thing is very clear from these verses, and that is Christ wanted to raise in their minds a constant expectation of his coming. And this is what Christ wants for us today in our lives, for us to have a constant expectation of the coming of Christ. Even though we don't know when and under what circumstances exactly, we are to have this constant expectation, like a hope, like almost like a daily suspense of the coming of Christ, like the great song, great hymn in our hymnal, which is a, a title of this song is a question, what if it were today? Jesus is coming to earth again. Again, what if it were today? Coming in power and love to reign. What if it were today? Coming to claim his chosen bride, all the redeemed and purified, over this whole earth scattered wide. What if it were today? You know, you can almost hear in that hymn, that lyrics, what if it really were today? And that's how Christ wants us to live with the constantly asking ourselves that question, what if it really were today? We're to get up every morning and ask ourselves the question, what if it were this morning before noon? What if it were? What should I do this morning, given that Christ might return before noon today? At noontime, we should ask ourselves the question, what if it were this afternoon? What should I do this afternoon if Christ were to return before this evening? And at 7 p.m., we should ask ourselves the question, what if it were this evening? What should I do tonight if Christ were to return before I go to sleep? What do I want him to see me doing this evening, this morning, this afternoon, if he was to come then? What do I not want to see for him to see me doing if it were those times? All those references that Christ made to his return in this chapter that I read. They're all designed to keep us with this constant expectation of his return. So it's all designed to keep that in front of us, that constant question, what if it were today? What if it were this morning? What if it were this afternoon? What if it were this evening? That question, asked three times a day, keeps alive the constant expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. And that living, Constant expectation is what the Bible calls the hope that purifies. The hope that purifies in 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Now, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be, but we, shall, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So what John is saying there is that keeping alive the constant expectation of the return of Christ is the hope that purifies. It purifies, and as I just mentioned, it purifies because you say to yourself, what movie do I not want to be in when he comes and returns? What do I want him not to catch me doing? And it's a purifying. If the child was left alone in the house and told, don't put your hand in this cookie jar, if that child expected at any moment for his mother to walk in that door, he's not gonna put his hand in the cookie jar. And keeping alive the constant expectation of the coming of Christ is what the Bible calls loving his appearance. Loving his appearance. And that prepares us to die. Loving his appearance actually is the preparation for us to die and it makes us live for the rewards 
that Christ has. For example, this is all brought out in 2 Timothy 4.6. 2 Timothy 4.6, where Paul is speaking about his readiness to die. And he says, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous does, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love his appearing. It was that loving his appearing that gave Paul the strength in his life to be able to come to his life and to say, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Wouldn't that be wonderful for us to be able to say? Wouldn't that be wonderful for us to be able to come to the end of our lives and say three words, fought, finished, kept. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.